When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America Quantum Merowit is a Latin phrase meaning what one has earned. In the context of contract law, it means something along the lines of reasonable value of services. In the United States, the elements of quantum Merowit are determined by state common law. For example, to state a claim for unjust enrichment in New York, a plaintiff must allege that, 1. The defendant was enriched, 2. The enrichment was at plaintiff's expense, and, 3. The circumstances were such that equity and good conscience require defendants to make restitution. Situations. Quantum Merowit is the measure of damages where an express contract is mutually modified by the implied agreement of the parties, or not completed. While there is often confusion between the concept of quantum Merowit and that of unjust enrichment of one party at the expense of another, the two concepts are distinct. The concept of quantum Merowit applies in but is not limited to, the following set of situations. 1. When a person hires another to do work, but an impending act falling short of vitiating frustration slash repudiation has occurred, such as access or intervening act of God, the worker may sue, or counter sue, for the value of the improvements made slash services rendered. The law implies a promise from the employer to the worker that they will pay them for their services, as much as they may deserve or merit. The measure of value set forth in a contract is legally admissible as evidence of the value of the improvements or services but the court, or thus out-of-court settlement, is not required to use the contract's terms when calculating a quantum Merowit award. This is because the values set forth in the contract are rebuttable, meaning the one who ultimately may have to pay the award can contest the value of services set in the contract. 2. When there is an express contract for a stipulated amount and mode of compensation for services, the plaintiff cannot abandon the contract and resort to an action for a quantum Merowit on an implied assumpset. However, if there is absence of any promised consideration, the plaintiff, such as hirer, has a right to elect to repudiate the contract and, failing a valid frustration, innocent mistake reason or similar defense, has the right to compensation from the defendant on a quantum Merowit basis. Examples. I. An example used in United States law schools is usually the case of Stephen V. Bromley and Son. Facts. 1. Ship owners agreed a charter fee for the transportation of steel billets. 2. The charterers loaded general merchandise, in breach of the agreement. Issue. Could the ship owners be entitled to nominal damages only, or could a contract be inferred at a higher rate? Decision. Claim for beyond nominal damage is allowed. Reasoning. A contract could be inferred such that the ship owners were entitled to the general rate for the breaching cargo loaded. 2. Person A, plaintiff in this hypothetical, tells neighbor B, defendant, that he is going to build a wall on their property that will give a benefit to both A and B, A implies that it would be cheaper for both of them if A performs the labor instead of hiring a professional. B agrees that the wall should be built, but no price is negotiated. A builds the wall and then asks B to compensate him for the benefit of the wall that he conferred on B, usually half the value of the wall. B refuses. A is entitled to some compensation based on quantum Merowit. This is because there was an implied promise between A and B, which is derived from contract law, 
because A was acting under the assumption that B would pay for part of his services. The winning of the case, or damages that would be agreed in any out-of-court settlement, will be directed as an assumpsit on a quantum merowit. Davy Caton, 1876. In Canada, quantum merowit is not based on contract law but rather depends on equitable principles of unjust enrichment. The old maxim, estoppel allows an implied promise to act as a shield against litigation but never a sword is in general upheld in Canadian law. Therefore an implied promise would not create a cause of action. Instead quantum merowit is based on the need to prevent the neighbor from unjustly enriching himself by allowing the fence builder to proceed with the work based on an assumption that he would be compensated. 3. Quantum merowit can also apply where there is a breached contract. A contractor is contracted to work on a school. He does some work but then quits, breach of contract. He is entitled to be paid for the services he has already provided for the school on the basis of quantum merowit. However the school may be entitled to damages if it can prove the balance of the works will at market rates cost more than the balance if performed by the earlier contractor, and in some jurisdictions inconvenience slash loss of amenity damages especially where time is stated to be of the essence. 4. If a contractor finds part of their work replaced by others through no fault of their own, they seek damages for the amounts that the defendant benefited. Third parties, absent provisions preventing such as new contractors finding the work more complex as a result of defects may, just as with all equitable actions, like a quantum merit basis restitution, promptly to avoid the doctrine of laches, equity, having let matters lie, bring action against that contractor. v. A promoter enters into a long-term service contract with a theater to help book and organize shows for no one else for a few months. They take part paid bookings for shows over these months but pass on none of that is agreed as they have grounds to allege the theater is unsafe and the theater needs to make it safe. The theater performs no repairs. Instead, the theater terminates the contract before the benefit of the shows. After this the theater runs most of the shows and gains benefit but does not pay the promoter. Some shows the theater cancels without cause. A court would decide, following similar precedent, that the promoter is entitled to an assumpsit on a quantum merit if the promoter has acted in a proportionate way as trustee, depository, delaying forwarding of the principal of the ticket sale part payments, for sufficiently well-founded premises defects which could have affected its reputation. Notable cases. Boardman v. Phipps. Sumter v. Hedges. Chattos v. West Publishing Company, and Universal Acupuncture Pain Serves. V. Guadrino and Schwartz. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. In laws of equity, unjust enrichment occurs when one person is enriched at the expense of another in circumstances that the law sees as unjust. Where an individual is unjustly enriched, the law imposes an obligation upon the recipient to make restitution, subject to defenses such as change of position. Liability for an unjust, or unjustified, Enrichment arises irrespective of wrongdoing on the part of the recipient. The concept of unjust enrichment can be traced to Roman law and the maxim that no one should be benefited at another's expense, Nemo locuplitari potest aliena iactura or Nemo locuplitari debit com aliena iactura. The law of unjust enrichment is closely related to, but not coextensive with, the law of restitution. The law of restitution is the law of gain based recovery. It is wider than the law of unjust enrichment. Restitution for unjust enrichment is a subset of the law of restitution in the same way that compensation for breach of contract is a subset of the law relating to compensation. History. Roman law. In civil law systems, unjust enrichment is often referred to as unjustified enrichment. 
Its historical foundation of enrichment without cause can be traced back to the Corpus Juris Civilis. While the concept of enrichment without cause was unknown in classical Roman law, Roman legal compilers eventually enunciated the principle of unjustified enrichment based on two actions of the classical Roman period, the condictio and the actiota in reverso. The condictio authorized recovery by the plaintiff of a certain object or money in the hands of the defendant. The defendant was considered a borrower who was charged with returning the object or money. For the actiota in reverso, the plaintiff bore the burden of specifying the cause for his demand, namely, demanding the restitution of assets that had exited the plaintiff's patrimony and entered the defendant's patrimony through the acts of the defendant's servants. The coherent concept of unjustified enrichment, then appeared in the Justinian Code, based on Roman pragmatism with equitable considerations and moral principles of Greek philosophy. In the Justinian Code, condictiones were grouped into categories, such as when the plaintiff had given a thing or money. 1. In contemplation of a future result that did not follow. 2. For a reason disapproved by law or repugnant to public policy. 3. By mistake because payment was not actually due, or 4. Without a good reason for the transaction. Further, the actiota in reverso gradually expanded to cover instances in which third parties were enriched at the expense of the impoverished obligee and unjustified enrichment was recognized as a source of obligations under the heading of quasi-contract. Civil law. The interpretations of Roman law principles on unjustified enrichment, by the French jurist Jean de Matte, and the German jurist Friedrich Karl von Sauvigny, formed the respective origins of the modern French and German law on unjustified enrichment. De Matte developed the French unjustified enrichment principles based on the actiota in reverso, as well as a modified version of the Roman concept of causa cause, which renders contracts actionable even when they are not normally recognized under Roman law. In contrast, the concept of unjustified enrichment is considerably broader and more frequently invoked in Germany and Greece to address issues of restitution as well as restoration for failed judicial acts. Equitable tracing is a particularly well-suited remedial tool. Common law. In systems of law derived from the English common law, the historical core of the law of unjust enrichment lies in quasi-contract. These were common law, as distinct from equitable, claims giving rise to a personal liability to pay the money value of a benefit received from another. Legal scholars from Oxford, Cambridge and Harvard at the turn of the 20th century began to rationalize these disparate actions into a coherent body of law. The principle said to underlie these actions was eventually recognized as unjust enrichment. Subsequent scholarship has sought to expand the explanatory power of the principle of unjust enrichment and it is now often said, albeit not without controversy, to encompass both common law and equitable claims. Framework. Cases of unjust, or unjustified, enrichment can be examined in the following way. Was the defendant enriched? Was the enrichment at the expense of the claimant? Was the enrichment unjust? Does the defendant have a defense? What remedies are available to the claimant? These questions are a familiar part of the modern English law of unjust enrichment, having been popularized by the writing of Professor Peter Burks and expressly endorsed by English courts. The framework provides a useful taxonomical function in Australian law, though the concept of unjust enrichment has been subject to inconsistent treatment by Australian courts, as discussed below. Stated at this level of abstraction, the framework is a useful grounding for comparative study between common law and civil law jurisdictions. The meaning of unjust, unjust factors the absence of basis. Generally speaking, the mere receipt of a benefit from another is unobjectionable and does not attract legal consequences. 
The exception is where such receipt is unjust or unjustified. Both civilian and common law legal systems have bodies of law providing remedies to reverse such enrichment. A conceptual split, albeit one not necessarily coextensive with the common law civilian distinction, is between systems based on an unjust factor approach and systems based on an absence of basis approach. Common law systems such as those of England, Australia, Canada and the United States typically adopt the unjust factor approach. In this analysis, the claimant must point to a positive reason why the defendant's enrichment is unjust. Examples of unjust factors that ground a claim for restitution include, mistakes of fact or law, total failure of consideration, duress, undue influence, and the Woolwich ground. Civil law systems such as those of France and Germany typically adopt an absence of basis approach. On this analysis, the defendant is obliged to make restitution if there is no basis for her receipt, for example, because the contract under which the defendant received the benefit was void ab initio. Some common law systems have shown signs of a possible shift towards this approach. In most cases, the conceptual approach does not affect the outcome of a case. For example, suppose that A makes an oral contract with B under which A will pay $100 for certain services to be provided by B. Further suppose that A pays the money but B discovers that, pursuant to legislation, contracts for such services are void unless in writing. B refuses to perform. Can A recover his payment? On both approaches, B is unjustly enriched at A's expense. On the absence of basis approach, B's enrichment has no legitimate explanatory basis because the contract was void. On the unjust factor approach, there has been a total failure of consideration, that is, A has received no part of the bargain for counter-performance, restitution follows automatically from the fact of invalidity. Remedies for unjust enrichment, personal and proprietary restitution. The remedy for unjust enrichment is restitution, the restoration of what was conferred to the claimant. In short, the correcting of the injustice that occurred when the claimant suffered a subtraction of wealth and the defendant received corresponding benefit. Restitution can take the form of a personal or a proprietary remedy. Where a personal remedy is awarded, the defendant is ordered to pay the money value of the benefit received. This personal money award is the typical form of restitution ordered. Where a proprietary remedy is awarded, the court recognizes, or declares, that the defendant has a beneficial or security interest in specific property of the defendant. Whether proprietary remedies can be awarded depends on the jurisdiction in question. In English law, the orthodox view is that unjust enrichment generally triggers personal, rather than proprietary remedies. This is because the law of quasi-contract only generates personal money awards, either a liquidated debt, as in actions for money had and received or money paid, or a sum assessed by a civil jury or the court itself, as in quantum merit or quantum valabat. Scholars seeking to expand the explanatory power of unjust enrichment have argued that other areas of the law such as subrogation and claims to traceable substitutes form part of the law of unjust enrichment. This view has been accepted, though its implications remain unclear. In Australian law, actions derived from the common money counts continue to generate only personal remedies. The doctrinal basis of subrogation is not unsettled, it has nothing to do with unjust enrichment. Claims to traceable substitutes are a part of our law of property, not unjust enrichment. National Systems United States The Restatement, third, of restitution and unjust enrichment states that unjust enrichment is enrichment that lacks an adequate legal basis. It results from a transfer that the law treats as ineffective to work a conclusive alteration in ownership rights. The North Dakota Supreme Court has ruled that five elements must be established to prove unjust enrichment. An enrichment. 
and impoverishment. A connection between enrichment and the impoverishment. Absence of a justification for the enrichment and impoverishment, and an absence of a remedy provided by the law. Effectively, the civil law doctrine is now in effect in North Dakota, as it has been in Louisiana and in Puerto Rico, both of which are mixed jurisdictions. In Massachusetts, there are some decisions denying recovery and restitution by the breaching party although this is not generally the rule in the United States. In 1999, unspent funds incorrectly deposited during 1998 into a wrong bank account were frozen when a judge ruled it was unjust enrichment, the unintended recipient sued. Australia. Whether there is a distinct body of law in Australia known as the law of unjust enrichment is a highly controversial question. In Pavey and Matthews v. Paul, 1987, the concept of unjust enrichment was expressly endorsed by the High Court of Australia. This was subsequently followed in numerous first instance and appellate decisions, as well as by the High Court itself. Considerable skepticism about the utility of the concept of unjust enrichment has been expressed in recent years. The equitable basis for the action for money had and received has instead been emphasized and in Australian financial v. Hills the plurality held that the concept of unjust enrichment was effectively inconsistent with the law of restitution as it had developed in Australia. It is worth noting that the analytic framework had been expressly endorsed by the High Court just two years before in Equiscorp v. Haxton. For the moment, the concept of unjust enrichment appears to serve only a taxonomical function. Belgium the acceptance of unjust enrichment has been confirmed multiple times in Belgium by the Court of Cassation, which has ruled that unjust enrichment is a general principle of law. The court has stated that the legal basis for the unjust enrichment is equity. According to the court, five elements constitute the unjust enrichment. 1. An enrichment. 2. An impoverishment. 3. A connection between the enrichment and the impoverishment. 4. An absence of a cause of the enrichment. And 5. The person trying to invoke the unjust enrichment cannot invoke the negotiorum gestio or the undue payment. United Kingdom. The law of unjust enrichment in England rapidly developed during the second half of the 20th century. It has been heavily influenced by the writings of jurists from Oxford and Cambridge. England adopts the unjust factor approach. In Scotland, the law developed in a piecemeal fashion through the 20th century, culminating in three pivotal cases in the late 1990s. The most crucial of these was Sheila v. Smith, in which Lord Roger essentially laid the bedrock for what is now considered modern Scots unjustified enrichment law, bringing together the fragmented law into one framework, drawing from the principles of Roman law upon which Scots law as a whole is based, note the term unjustified is preferred to unjust in Scotland. Unjustified enrichment is more established as a fundamental part of the Scots law of obligations than unjust enrichment is in English law. Canada the doctrine of unjust enrichment was definitively established as a full-fledged course of action in Canada in Petkus v. Becker, 1980. To establish unjust enrichment, the plaintiff needs to show, i, enrichment, 2, deprivation, 3, causal connection between enrichment and deprivation, and, 4, absence of juristic justification for the enrichment. The concept of deprivation and enrichment are extremely broad. Deprivation refers to any loss of money or money's worth in the form of contribution while A is enriched if B contributes to the acquisition of assets in A's name. The causal connection between enrichment and deprivation must be substantial and direct. The absence of juristic reason is satisfied if a plaintiff establishes a reason why the benefit ought not be retained, or if the defendant demonstrates a convincing argument in favor of retention of the property. 
Remedy for unjust enrichment is frequently an imposition of constructive trust over the property unjustly retained. The Law School of America. This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America. (laughs) 